Well, today's message is titled, Transformed Through Prayer. Transformed Through Prayer. We've got a wonderful theme this year, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And I would imagine that most of us here have personalized this theme. I know I have done that. It was early in January where I was having a quiet time and I just said, Lord, um, teach me to pray. Will you teach me to pray? And during that quiet time, I just penciled down some of the things that the Lord has already taught me about prayer. And then I said, Lord, will you take me deeper in the school of prayer? By the end of the year, I believe that we will have a deeper knowledge on prayer and that we will be praying with greater fervency and effectiveness and that we will have seen many answers to prayer. If I just reflect on these past um, three, three days of prayer that we had a, a week and a half ago, three days of prayer and fasting, and especially if I reflect on our lunchtime prayer hours right here in this auditorium and the intensity in which this church prayed, I know that God is already doing something. But it would be sad if we got to the end of the year and we haven't been transformed through prayer. If our lives aren't different, if we haven't been changed from the inside. Because sometimes when we pray, God doesn't change our situations. He changes us. Can any of you relate to that? How sometimes we can pray and then the situation doesn't change, but in us, God is doing a work. How many of you have prayed for a storm in your life to, to be stilled? And then the storm has maybe got worse. But in that time of prayer, the Lord has given you a strength and a faith and a courage to walk with integrity right in the midst of that storm. Or maybe there's a time where you have uh, had a relationship with someone that's been a, a bit strained. And so you, you've prayed for the Lord to change that person. And as you quieten yourself in His presence, He begins to speak to you about some things that are in your own hearts. I remember working for a very challenging client when I was in corporate and uh, it was very difficult working for him and I uh, spent some time praying and the Lord reminded me of how he taught his disciples about forgiveness and how they weren't to forgive seven times but 70 times, seven times and then he just dropped this little word into my spirit and he said, Bruce, you're going to need to forgive that man like that continued working for him for about two years, and it was a daily process of forgiving him and keeping my heart right. So through prayer, God was working in my own life. I purchased this book, The Power of a Praying Husband, a couple of years ago, and it's a wonderful book. I encourage every husband here to get a copy and to pray for your wife, and uh, it's a, got a whole lot of things that you can pray for some guided prayers, which is really quite wonderful. But I was bemused when I sort of went to chapter one, and the first chapter was praying for your wife's husband. <laughs> I needed to pray for me. And the prayer points were very eye-opening. Let me read some of them to you. 
Pray for yourself that you will be the husband God wants you to be. Pray that you will be led by the Holy Spirit in all decisions. Pray that you will be delivered from negative behavior. Pray that you will speak words that build and not destroy. And pray that you will grow spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. In essence, the book was saying, before you pray for your wife, pray for yourself to be the husband that God wants you to be. So as we ask the Lord to teach us to pray this year, and as we begin to pray with greater fervor, and as we spend more time in prayer, which I expect will happen, let's also allow the Holy Spirit to use our prayer times to heal us and to restore us and to challenge us and to change us from the inside. So the three points that I'll be sharing with you today are actually three questions, and here they are. The first one is, what does a transformed life look like? Secondly, what is God's role in transforming our lives? And thirdly, what is our role in this inward transformation journey? So firstly, what does a transformed life look like? So if you want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 5. The scripture will also be on the screens. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. It pleased Darius, the king of Babylon, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. You know, it's quite incredible. What happened to Daniel is happening to many godly children of God in our nation today. We have many congregation members who love the Lord. They are working in government and they are, incredible they are under incredible pressure to be corrupt. And when they stand up for righteousness, they get persecuted, just like Daniel has been persecuted. So it says here, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Daniel was a devout follower of the living God. And it showed in his actions and in his attitude. He distinguished himself in the way that he handled his responsibilities. And it says in the word that he was completely trustworthy. And he was neither corrupt nor negligent. What an incredible testimony of who he was. Daniel is an example to us of someone who lived wholeheartedly for the Lord. Now with this example of Daniel in our minds, of this person who lived with such integrity and character, I want to read a few other scriptures 
that give us a vision of what a transformed life looks like. Because we need a vision if we are not going to perish. That is what the word says. It says in Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And in another version it says, without vision, the people cast off restraint. They do whatever they want to do. So we need a vision, a picture in our own minds of a transformed life. Daniel is one of those pictures. Here is a scripture, Micah chapter 6 verse 8, that provides us another picture. It's one of my favorite verses, Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to read it again, and when it says, oh man, I want to encourage you to put your own name in. He has shown you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's another verse that gives us a picture of a transformed life. James 1 verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as Pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's loving mercy. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's quite powerful words that. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That means it's possible for this world's culture to pollute us. And it says we must keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. In 1 John 2 verse 6 from the Amplified Bible, we read the following. Whoever says he lives in Christ, that is, whoever says that he has accepted Jesus as God and Savior, ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as Jesus walked and conducted himself. There's a little scripture tucked away in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. It's quite easy to read over this verse, but it's a profound scripture because it gives us a picture of how Jesus walked. This is what it says. Talking about Jesus, the scripture says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your brethren. So here we see Jesus walking with incredible joy. But we see a description of Jesus who loved righteousness and absolutely hated wickedness. So the first characteristic of a transformed life is righteousness. The second characteristic of a transformed life is love. John 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this incredible, incredible thing to them. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's saying, if people are going to see that you're my followers, it's going to be because of the way that you love each other. I want you to think about someone in your life. Um, you can think about your immediate family or extended family. You can think about a family, a, a, a friend or a, a colleague possibly. But I want you to just picture someone that you find a little, it's a little bit hard to love them at times. 
There's something about your interactions with them that are difficult to process. And with that person in mind, listen to 1 John 4, verse 7 to 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The third characteristic of a transformed life that I'd like to highlight today, there's many characteristics, but the third one I'd like to highlight today is character. In Matthew 5 we read, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 16 it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Daniel's life was like this. Because of his presence in Babylon, just because he was there, corruption could not take root in that nation. His light was shining brightly and he impacted his environment because of his good deeds and because of his integrity. So if you had to give yourself a score from 1 to 10 on these three things, how would you rate yourself? You don't have to tell the person next to you. You can just, you know, just between you and God. On righteousness, what score would you give yourself from 1 to 10? On love, how would you score yourself? And on character, how would you score yourself? Friends, there is going to be increased ungodliness in the last days. There will be a godless society. And we, God's children, His church, like Daniel, need to look completely different to the world. And when we walk in righteousness, and when we interact with people with love, and when we have got godly character and integrity, we begin to look different. And we have a salting, a preserving effect on our society. But walking in these three, three things is sometimes easier said than done. And the reason for this is that there's something that all of us struggle with, and it is called sin. Instead of pursuing righteousness, we can find ourselves justifying all kinds of sinful fleshly desires. Instead of love, we can find ourselves give, giving vent to our frustrations and our anger and harboring bitterness and offenses towards others. Instead of demonstrating godly character that serves and preserves the society, we can at times become self-absorbed, always wanting more and finding ourselves being caught up with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth and compromising because of that. In Romans 7, Paul reflects on this struggle and he says the following. This is Paul writing. In verse 18 and 19 of Romans 7, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And then in verse 24 and 25, he bemoans the situation. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This scripture leads into my second point, which is 
What is God's role in transforming our lives? What is God's role? As I prepared, I found this quote by Richard Foster in a wonderful book on the spiritual disciplines titled Celebration of Discipline. He writes, When we despair of gaining inner transformation through human powers of will and determination, we are open to a wonderful new revelation. Inner righteousness is a gift from God to be graciously received. The needed change within us is God's work, not ours. The demand is for an inside job, and only God can work from the inside. I've counseled so many people that at times I say, I don't know what to do anymore. I, I just struggling to get victory over this or this or this in my life. Friends, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 is clear. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Through the shedding of his blood on the cross, Jesus made us holy. In Acts 13 verse 12, we read the scripture that confirms this. It says, so also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates. Outside the city gates is where the outcasts were placed. So Jesus died as a sinner, as an outcast for us. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. We have been made holy by a blood sacrifice. Jesus' blood shed for us. So we're saved by grace. And somewhere in our lives, each of us has to get to that place where we acknowledge our need for forgiveness, where we invite Jesus into our hearts and we ask him to cleanse us by his blood. When we do that, we get born again. But here is a wonderful revelation. We are also sanctified by grace. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's this process of becoming more and more holy, just like Jesus was. This is where we begin to gain victory over things like selfishness and pride and guilt and shame and bitterness and fear. This is where the Lord begins to do a work in us so that we can look more like His Son. And this is also by grace. Let's reflect again on Richard Foster's words. The needed change within us is God's work, not ours. The demand is for an inside job, and only God can work from the inside. I've seen this time and again when ministering specifically through prayer ministry to people, and then God begins to work. You can see God is at work. I remember once praying for a lady uh, many years ago, and I was praying with my eyes closed, and I looked up, and she wasn't there anymore. <laughs> she was on the ground. And uh, I just kneeled down and I carried on praying for her. And uh, then after a while, I just knew God was at work. And she was down on the ground for about 20 minutes. And afterwards, sort of she came to and I said to her, what was God doing? I knew her well and she began to tell me what God was doing. And I realized that his work was deeper than anyone could have done. God transforms us from the inside. You know, Daniel was 17 years old when he was taken off into captivity. And he never returned to Israel. He died in Babylon. He didn't live as a free man. 
He couldn't pursue his own hopes and his own dreams. He served under four different kings, and some of them were very wicked kings. Yet when we read about Daniel, he always comes across as composed and humble and pure in hearts, full of faith. You know, it would have been so easy for Daniel to have got angry with God, to have got angry with the people in Babylon. It would have been so easy for him out of bitterness to have thrown his values away. Yet God kept him. It's so clear, God's hand of grace was on Daniel. Through God's help, David, Daniel, was able to forgive his captors. And he was able to serve them with an integrity of heart. There was a time when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he had a dream of a big tree. And the next minute he saw all the branches of the tree being stripped off and the tree being cut off right at the stump. And he called Daniel and asked him to interpret the dream. And God gave Daniel the interpretation. And the interpretation in essence said that because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, God was going to bring him down. He would be cast away from people and he would live as a wild animal for seven years. But now listen to what Daniel says to the king. It's found in chapter 4, verse 19 of the book of Daniel. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel doesn't gloat in the king's misfortune. Instead, he responds with compassion. We, like Daniel, can live victorious lives no matter what we have been through or what we are currently going through. In a way, we've got an even greater advantage than Daniel because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So he's praying for us and the Holy Spirit has been given to us as our helper, our comforter, our counselor. In Romans 8 verse 9 we read, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Can you see, we are even more able to live the transformed life than Daniel because of the Spirit of God living in us. This is confirmed in 2 Peter 1 verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Let me just read that again. God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So my first point was about what a transformed life looks like, a life that is righteous, full of love and godly character. And my second point is what God's role is in transforming our lives, where we recognize that even us as believers, we can struggle with sin and we can struggle with brokenness and uh, we are in need of God's grace. Not only to save us, but to sanctify us. My third point is, what is our role in this inward transformation journey? So I mentioned how Daniel demonstrated incredible godliness, despite being carried off into captivity and facing grace adversity in a very wicked land. And I mentioned how God's grace was clearly on Daniel's life. But Daniel did something that we need to take note of. Daniel did something. 
Before I share what he did, just back to the story about the chief and the chiefs and the satraps. And can you remember how they wanted to get rid of Daniel because they wanted to be corrupt? And so what they did was they went to the king and they said, we've got a good idea. We think that you should sign an edict that says that no one can pray to any god or any man except you, O king, for 30 days. And uh, if anyone does pray to another god or man in this time, uh, they should get thrown into the lion's den. And for somehow they managed to trick the king and he signed this edict. Listen to what happened in Daniel 6, verse 10 to 11. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. This, this was his, his habit. Day by day by day, Daniel would get down on his knees three times a day and pray. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Very important, that little line. What was Daniel doing? He was praying and he was asking God for help. Richard Foster says the following. The moment we grasp the breathtaking insight that the needed change within us is God's work, we are in danger of an error in the opposite direction. We are tempted to believe that there is nothing we can do. The analysis is correct. Human striving is insufficient and righteousness is a gift from God. But the conclusion is faulty. God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving His grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. Now there are many spiritual disciplines. Here are a few of the most common ones. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. That's why I'm so excited about our theme for the year. Study of the Word is a spiritual discipline. Worship, simplicity, solitude, those are spiritual disciplines. And these things require an effort on our parts. They require discipline. Daniel prayed three times a day, day after day after day. I believe that it was these prayer times, this communion that he had with God, that resulted in Daniel being the person that he was. I mean, it clearly says he thanked God and he asked God for help. I tell you now, if each one of us had to do that three times a day, thanking God and asking him for help, our lives are going to look different. In Galatians 6 verse 8, Paul writes the following. He says, He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So whenever we do any of these spiritual disciplines, reading the Word, praying, fasting, spending time silently before the Lord, when we do any of these things, we are sowing to the spiritual nature. We're sowing into that which will give us eternal life. Richard Foster continues in his book, 
He says the following, Paul's analogy of a farmer is instructive. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the Spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. I love this next sentence. They put us where He can work within us and transform us. Just this morning, as I was praying, um, just quietly before the Lord, the Lord already began to speak into my own heart around some things. Just reassuring certain things. In that silence, in that way of praying, God begins to work. I'd like to conclude with a little illustration that Richard Foster talks about in his book. And he talks about the path of disciplined grace. And he says, if you had to picture a mountain, one of these mountain ranges, and uh, it's got a narrow pathway on the top ridge of the mountain. And on this side, there's a sheer drop. And on this side, there's a sheer drop. So you have to walk carefully on this top ridge. He says, the chasm on the right-hand side is attempting to live a righteous life through human striving, through your own efforts and your own ways. You're going to fall off the cliff. You're not going to manage. And he says, the cliff on the left-hand side is the absence of any effort not taking any actions towards righteous living, not doing anything that would help you in this righteous journey. And then he says, this narrow path on the top of the ridge are the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of the spiritual life that lead to inner transformation. As we travel on this path, as we pray, as we listen to God's voice, as we fast, as we seek Him, as we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, then the grace of God comes upon our lives and the Holy Spirit comes and transforms us into the followers of Christ that He wants us to be. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the vision of a transformed life that You give us in Your Word. We thank you that your heart is for us to walk in righteousness. Your heart is for us to be so full of your love that it oozes over whenever we interact with anyone. And that they can see that we're your disciples because of your love and our love. Lord, your heart is for our lives to be so transformed that we exhibit godly character and integrity in such a way that our presence is like salt and light. Father, I thank you that we don't have to do these things in our own strength. I thank you that it's by grace that we're saved. And I thank you that it's by your grace that we're transformed, that we're sanctified. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for your presence in our lives, the way you speak to us, the way you change us, convict us lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness. Thank you that this change that we need is something you do from the inside. But Father, we confess the times where we have neglected the spiritual disciplines, where we haven't prayed, we haven't spent time in your word. 
we haven't placed ourselves in that fertile ground where you can work. And Lord God, our hearts are to see that change, is to allow our prayer time specifically this year to be a place where you can speak to us and change us. I pray your blessing on each person here today. Thank you, Father God, that you know them very well and that you've got good plans for their lives. Pray that they'll leave today with their faith stirred up, hearts on fire for you. In Jesus' name, amen.